Recording. Okay. <laughs> so you. now that we know that, you you be careful about that. So again, we, uh, we're talking about the difference between dead faith, demonic faith, dynamic faith. In chapter two of James, in dead faith, we dealt with the aspect that it's intellectual and only intellectual. And that is not enough to, to in order to, to save a person. We've talked about demonic faith uh, in previous weeks. And demonic faith is faith that is um, uh, both intellectual and emotional. And that in, in and of itself, those two aspects are not quite enough. So dynamic faith is the last of the faith that we want to talk about. And it's and we use this two examples that James uses, Abraham and Rahab. So uh, we're going to look at that a little bit today. Faith, it, uh, and I'll just mention, uh, let's do this. Let's read the passage. And I'm going to start in verse 18 uh, and then read through the end of the chapter, which is uh, verse 26. So starting in verse 18 of James chapter 2, it says, but someone will say, I have faith and uh, you have faith and I have deeds. Show me your faith without the deeds and I will show you my faith by what I do. You believe that there is a God? Good. Even the demons believe and shudder. Again, we talked about that was the demonic faith. You foolish man, do you want evidence that faith without deeds is useless? What was our ancestor Abraham considered righteous? Was not our ancestor Abraham considered righteous? For what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar. You see that his faith and his actions were working together and his faith was made complete by what he did. And the scriptures are, was, the scripture was fulfilled when it said Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. And he was called the God's friend. You see that a person is justified by what he does and not by faith alone. Uh, we're going to come back to that. That's a tricky. That's a tricky one right there. That verse, verse twenty-four. In the same way, was not Rahab the prostitute considered righteous for what she did when she gave lodging to the spies, and sent them off in a different direction? As the body without spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. All right. So uh, first, I would just mention that the idea of faith is. The faith that we have is only as good as the object of which we have faith in. Um, you can say, I believe in something and I'm all for it. But if it if it's the wrong thing, it, your faith is going to be misplaced, isn't it? And it won't it won't help you. No matter how much uh, faith a person may generate, it, if it's not directed towards the right object, it accomplishes nothing. Mm. Um you know, you hear a lot of people, sincere people that say, I believe, uh, you know, and it, well, what do you believe in? And whom do you believe in? And what do you believe? Um, we are not saved by faith in faith. We are saved by faith in Christ and his finished work on the cross. So uh, what I would say is that proper faith, dynamic faith involves three aspects. It involves the mind. It involves the emotions. And the last piece of the puzzle is the will. So, um, you know, we do know that God says that faith is believing, uh, is not believing in spite of evidence. Faith is obeying in spite of consequences. Think of Hebrews chapter 11. We looked at that and we spent a lot of time. We spent 13 weeks just on chapter 11 alone, at least 13 minutes probably closer to 16 by the time we got done. 
and we were studying the book of Hebrews. And, and we found that there were all of those people there, we call them heroes of the faith. They were, they, it was faith that believed in, not because it was in spite of evidence, but it was faith that believed in, in spite of the consequences. You see, true faith leads to action. Obedience is not an isolated event. It continues, it should continue throughout the whole of life. And it leads, as a result of that, it should lead to works. Now, uh, there are all kinds of works. Uh, you know, we have the work of the law that Paul talks about in Galatians 2. We have the work of the flesh that he talks about in Galatians uh, 9, uh, 5. Um, we talk about uh, wicked works in Colossians. Have we ever studied Colossians? Uh -huh. Uh -huh. I don't think we have, and we haven't. I know we haven't done the uh, the, the Corinthians too. So I don't know. What I'm thinking about is, it, it, you know, we're a little ways before we're finished with James, but some we of the things done, in my we haven't mind. done Isaiah either. Well, thank you, Tom. I appreciate that. You, you, thanks for speaking up for Gary, who's not. Gary, here. Gary asked me to put that yeah. in. <laughs> I appreciate oh. that. <laughs> <laughs> We'll, we'll do that as a flyover someday, you know, because I, I, 66 chapters, my word, it'd take us forever. So, uh, uh, so anyhow, and then Hebrews talks about dead faith. So where there's dynamic faith, saving faith, you'll always find, you'll always find good works, not as a result of trying to get saved, but as a result of being saved. And again, um, we look at, uh, uh, Abraham and Rahab, and it's kind of interesting, they're both on both sides of the equation. You know, Abraham is considered a godly man. Rahab was considered a sinful woman. She was a, a harlot. Um, we find out that as a result of that, that both of them, what do they have in common? Well, they didn't have a lot. In fact, Rahab was not only, she wasn't even an Israelite. She was a Canaanite. Right. Who, by the way, Married into a line of people that eventually brought forth a guy by the name of Jesus, mm -hmm. son yeah. of Joseph and Mary, became savior of the world, you know, died for the cross. He, his, back, you know, I don't know how many greats before that, with his, his great, 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 great grandmother was Rahab. That's crazy when you start thinking about, it, you know, what it shows is it doesn't matter what your past is. It matters what God sees as your future. God uh -huh. looks at you. God looks at everyone. And when we look at people, we need to start looking at people through the eyes of, of the future of what God can do through them and for them versus simply looking at them as to how, what they've had in the past. Because you know what? Some of us have not had really good pasts. And God still chose to, to call us into his family. So, um, how do you how do you explain how do you find out if a person if if a person has been justified by faith if the transaction that takes place between them and God is private? How do you how do you how do you know? Works, deeds, if you will. Deeds. A justified person will have a change of life. He'll start obeying. God's will, his faith is demonstrated by what he does. Abraham um, was not saved by faith plus works, but by faith that works. Like that, I thought that was a good 
I stole that also from Warren Wiersbe, just to let you know. He had a great way with words sometimes. Uh, Abraham's faith was not, was not saved. He was not saved by faith plus works. He was saved by faith that works. He faith By faith, he was justified before God and his righteousness was declared uh, by the works. He was justified before men and his righteousness was demonstrated. It wasn't that it saved him. Is that it proved that he was saved? So dynamic faith obeys God and proves itself daily. Now, um, Can I ask a question. Sure. Sure. Uh, a few minutes ago, you said something about uh, that about the past, about your past and stuff. Yeah. So is this a, just an old wives' tale that I'm about to ask you about, or is it is it in Bible or is it just one of those Catholic screw tape things um, <laughs> where the, the whole I, I, I'm, I'm struggling with this but it's where you, you talk about your sins and that it's going to be generational mm-hmm. do you know what I mean that if you if you if you've done this sin and that it will affect to, generations after you? Yeah, yes. Yeah. Well, Scripture seems to indicate that that's a possibility. And I would say that, that what it is, is not so much that it will happen, it's guaranteed to happen, but it's more of an axiom that it could happen. And the reason for that is what? Environmental. Could be genes, but often God says that he 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 does say, and I don't have the passage in front of me. I'd have to do some digging, but he does say that he'll he'll uh, you know the sin of the fathers will follow will follow to the second and third generation. Some say it yeah. could be even further than that, and yet God also says that he he uh, that we he chooses to save us on an individual basis. So there is a there is a uh, an opportunity for us to. Uh, uh, to get out from under, if you will, the, the generational sin. Think of this. If you look, grow up in a family, uh, a person who is a person who is sexually molested as a child often becomes a molester themselves when they, when they get older. Not always, but often. So what you see there is, is that what happens is it gets passed, and especially within a family, it would happen. Uh, in some of my extended family, we've seen that uh, where there was a sexual predator in, in a distant family member um, by marriage, actually, um, um, in several places removed. <laughs> but anyhow, the result was that it became an ongoing thing that happened within the, you know, the family. And it wasn't until finally, you know, God got a hold of one of the, the family members that broke the curse, if you will. Uh, so, yeah, I think part of it is that you're raised in a in an environment that uh, can help that happen. But just in like case, you can be raised in an environment in a good environment and still choose to be bad. You know, I think we've all probably seen it or experienced or have family members that that are that have that problem. Dan, you have a different yes. look here. You decided um, not to go to not to go if to. I uh, could, if I can make a comment, um, sure. generational curses can be broken. Yes. Okay, 
and I was raised Catholic also originally. Um, so there are things that are handed down in generations, but you can't break them. Um, and you do it by the will of God and by the power of God. Yes. And it's, it's always good to do. Every one of you should pray for anything that was handed down hereditary that you may not even be aware of um, to break the curse. Back, and uh, we'll Catholic, that. I don't want to open up a can here. <laughs> yeah, well, first of all, I, I don't think it has anything to do with, with Catholicism as much as it has to do with the fact that there are times when we just deal with problems and uh, I'm trying to find, and, and it, it can be yeah. both. Uh, the issue is there have been sins that have happened. Hang on, I'm trying to get to a passage and I'm having a hard time getting there. You ever had that problem where you just can't seem to turn to the passage you want? Well, I'm trying found, to go to Nehemiah. I found, I found a couple references. Uh, okay. Both in uh, Deuter Deuteronomy and in Exodus. Yep, that would be and true. Deuteronomy uh, 5 9 says, You shall not bow down to them or worship them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sin of the parents to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me. Yep. And then Exodus basically says the same thing. Exodus 25 says the exact same thing. It's, it's actually almost verbatim. Uh, and then 34.7 says the same thing about, you know, he does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes children and their children to the sins of the parents to the third and fourth generation. Numbers 14.18. So, I mean, it, it does. There's no question. It, it uses the same verbiage in four different spots. Speaking to what Dan referred to, and, and the, you're absolutely correct, Tom. And but speaking to what Dan referred to about praying over past situations within the family, look at what Nehemiah says. And this is in chapter one of Nehemiah, and it is in verse six. He's praying before uh, God because he's heard of the problems that are in Jerusalem. Remember, Jerusalem was broken down. We studied Nehemiah number of years ago and he says here i confess the sins we israelites uh that we israelites including myself and my father's house have committed against you my father's house talks about generational he's talking about the, you know he's praying about the fact that something happened years ago and that he's saying you know what we didn't take care of it we need to deal with it um it's it's an it's interesting to see how that happens it's interesting to see how God, um, uh, when we ignore sin in our group, um, it can it can fester and can multiply and can uh, come out at uh, at a later date in another in a, you know in a in another generation. I saw one church uh, that was that that failed to deal with the sin of one of their uh, senior pastors, and went from a church of you know, in the 60s was running over 3,000 in attendance to well under uh, about 500 in a, just a few years because they refused to deal, I, I believe, because they refused to deal with the, pa the pastor's sin. And God just said, fine, I'm going to remove remove my, my people from your, pla your place. Now they've they have a second or third pastor since then, and, and they're doing a little better, but not not to not where they were, they're not even close. Yeah, so I wonder sometimes if they had actually 
you know, repented publicly and dealt with the sin instead of sweeping it under the carpet. We've talked about that. How often churches want to sweep things under the carpet, and the result is you you, know, you end up leaving a lump in the carpet. It's very noticeable when you walk through the room. Um, Ezekiel 18 does a great job of explaining why we don't inherit um, if you live by the law, I'm by by the the commandments. I'm talking not the law. Um, he says eight, eighteen nineteen. Yet you say, why should the son not bear the sins of the father? Because the son has done what is lawful and right, and has kept all my statutes and has done them. He shall surely live. Yep. So. That was the verse I was trying. I couldn't remember where it was at. But yeah, in Ezekiel 18 is a great um, stepping stone to understand that, you know, long as you're living, you pray for the curse to be broken in your generations and you move on as, as if you're born again. Life begins today. Yep. Break those generational curses yep. and, and live. Thank you, Dan. That was great. Keith, does that help? Yep. Yeah, it starts. I was looking at the the passage that uh, Dan mentioned. It starts with, uh, you know, earlier in that in that same chapter, it, it talks about it. It says, "Suppose his son has a son who sees all the signs his father commits, and though he sees them, he does not do such things." Then it goes on to say all the things that they, that he doesn't do, and it says that son won't won't pay for his father's sins. Yep. Yep. <laughs> We're still paying for Adams. <laughs> yeah. well, there's a certain sense of truth to that too isn't there yeah well uh let's take a look at uh at uh, uh let's get back to let me get back to james here i got my there we go okay so we start talking about um you know the think about abraham abraham is is in uh, uh attempts to obey god and uh, does so by uh, agreeing to sacrifice his son. And God says, okay, I, I'm using that. I, I, you now, I understand you're willing and you truly obey me. You truly, and it wasn't like God didn't know, but what else was he doing? He was proving to Abraham that he did. Sometimes when we were tested, we're tested, not because God wonders if we're going to pass the test. God knows if we're going to pass or not which is one of the reasons why I keep having to do the same test over and over again. Sometimes it's because I tend to fail quite a bit. Um, but the, the issue is that when we believe God, uh, he counts it as righteousness. Now, on the other hand, Rahab, Rahab, it's interesting in, uh, in Joshua uh, two, she, the word, the Hebrew word there could be translated harlot or could be translated innkeeper. In other words, she ran a guest house. Some think that the innkeeper and harlot might go together and maybe she was a madam. Um, but what we find, is, and, and there are people that say, oh no, she wasn't, she wasn't a sinful woman. She was just an innkeeper. Well, I would say that that's a problem only because, excuse me, in the Greek, in James 2 here, um, the Greek word that is used to describe um, to describe um, Rahab is, is the Greek word for harlot. It is not innkeeper. They're two different words, two different meanings. So 
it's pretty evident as you look at this that it's got to be that she her problem was that she was uh, she was a woman of the night, if you will. The Greek I mean, word, the a... Greek slutos. <laughs> could be. I don't know. All right. So uh, you, you could she could have had dead faith, mere intellectual. You know. Oh yeah, I know the Israelites. I heard all about them, but I, I know they're going to be bad for us, or she could have had demonic faith in, in fact that she was not only enlightened with knowing who they were, but also emotionally stirred, but she had, she used, she exercised dynamic faith. Why? How? Well, she hid them. She hid the spies mm -hmm. and then she helped them escape. And she asked one thing when they escaped, would you spare me a life? So she, she put actions to her her, you know, to her understanding, and think about this: how much did, she, how much in the world could she have known about the God of Israel? Probably not. Probably not a lot. No, I think that, didn't, she know, didn't she hear about the crossing of the Jordan? Oh yeah, she heard. Of, she heard about that. She might have heard stories about the, the what happened in Egypt, but I mean, all she heard was stories. It wasn't like they had, a, you know, that they, they had a Bible. She, she couldn't refer to I, any Hebrew scripture at that point. I Which shows that, you how much trust she had just on yeah. the story. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's an amazing amount of trust. Which I wonder if been, we would have that kind of trust. That's what God is attempting to do for us. That's his whole, we're moving that in that direction. Trust. Trust. Each, yeah, day, it, God, each day God asks you a different way, do you trust me? Mm -hmm. Yeah, and each day I... Bumble. Sometimes I make it, and a lot of times I don't. The other thing, too, you mentioned about yet yeah, about generational sins. The other things, too, is remember, one of the important things is God will eventually remove the presence of sin. As long as sin is present, we've always got that part of us that can be tempted by it. Yes. Yeah. True. True. And we're not going to be fully perfected until when? We get to heaven. <laughs> but we see God, yeah. When we, when we come into his presence. And even from that, he actually has to re-things, re-establish everything. And there's no presence of sin at all. Yeah. One thing, too, is, uh, you know, Georgie said, you know, to, to trust God. Uh, when, when you speak to people that are out of the circle of faith, you know, uh, atheists, um, they will always pit the idea of faith versus science. You know, you're you're a faith, and I'm a I'm a person of science, mm. but I, I don't see it that way. For us, it's you know faith and science. Uh, it's, it's faith is a substance. You know, faith is evidence. It's not just it's not just blind. No, I guess the issue too I can tell you is that most people that are, if you're realistic, science proves the Bible. Mm -hmm. it, it just you have to have your eyes open to see that. Really, I'm just telling. You. Yeah, I think when I think when science and, and the Bible disagree, the problem is that we haven't gotten all the information. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Well, yeah, I think the, the science becomes flawed anyhow in that method. It's a supposition, like probability, like you know, consequence. Well, you know, all the way up. every time they, they come up with an idea, was did I read just recently that uh, Einstein's theory of relativity? They're going. They have to rethink that. It doesn't quite work in some instances now. They've found a way of apparently disproving his theory. 
How yep. much? How much uh, of our? Uh, uh, what would that be? Uh, uh, what science is that? That's the science of. Uh, uh, yeah. Anyhow, whatever it is, it it. It's the science it, of memory. I, yeah. Thank you. Yes, thank you. Yeah. Uh, physics, physics, physics is the word I was looking for. Oh no! Yeah. Uh, you know, we a whole generations have have dealt with understanding physics based upon some of Einstein's theories. Right. Okay. Now they're going well. You know, we, I'm not sure that that theory ap applies in this particular. And there were a couple of instances that they they said uh, was they were questioning Einstein's theory. Well, it's still a theory, well, not a law. Yeah, mm -hmm. well, yeah, but you know, we, we, we build an entire science based upon a theory. But see, now they're having problems because quantum mechanics even blows that away. Yeah, right. yeah, yeah. Just, yeah, still, still uncovering. But, but yeah, I, I take reassurance, I guess, because I, I do, I do discuss some of these things, but with with atheists. But if you look back, you know, like Faraday, Maxwell, Newton, uh, Newton wrote more about the Bible than he did about. About treaties on physics, uh, you ha you have uh, Pascal. Uh, you just have lists of entire fields in electromagnetics and, and biology and astronomy. Kepler, um, and they were all Bible believing Christians. And that that so when they claim science, I said, well, look at the originators of these field branches of science. So it gives me a little bit of uh, I, I can get a warm fuzzy, I guess. <laughs> yeah, a better under a better understanding how it fits in your faith, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was yeah. going to ask. Uh, so, do you suppose that less information makes more faith? No. Well, no, I, I think don't. it takes more faith. It takes more faith <laughs> if, if you don't have any information. Oh, you know, think you about think about Thomas goes. You know, I won't believe until I can. He's physically here, and I can put my finger in his in his hand yeah. i can put my my hand in the side where he was speared I, I won't believe that jesus rose from the dead and then boom jesus is there okay thomas go ahead touch He's dead. You know, I, I don't know that thomas <laughs> ever did but he falls to his knees and says my lord and my god yeah. and paul and and uh jesus says blessed are you because you've seen and believe but how much more are those who are blessed who have not seen and yet believe Think about people like Rahab and about us who have never seen God physically, never seen Christ physically, yet we've chosen to believe him. Well, and I, I like the I like the word uh, eyewitnesses. So like a few times John or, or Peter yeah. says we were eyewitnesses. So the, the, what we read in the New Testament was by, yeah, eyewitnesses. It's kind of like a, a legal, has a legal footing. Mm-hmm. So uh, as we look at this whole aspect of uh, the information that, that Abraham had, because he actually talked with God, he's called the friend of God. Then we also look at people like, we look at uh, Rahab, who, who didn't really have a lot to go on, yet chose to believe in the God of Israel. I think it's important for us as, as professing Christians to examine our hearts, our lives, to make sure that we have true saving faith, true dynamic faith after all second corinthians 13 5 the first part of the passage says examine yourselves whether you be of faith and prove your own selves so i, I have a list of questions and that and i'll just read them and you can mentally uh judge 
in your own selves, how some of these go. Things like, was there a time when I honestly realized I was a sinner and admitted to myself uh, and to God that I was a sinner? Was there a time when my heart stirred me to flee from the wrath to come? Have I ever seriously been alarmed over my sin? How about this one? Do I truly understand the gospel that Christ died for my sins and rose again? Do I understand and confess that I cannot save myself? Did I truly repent of my sins and turn from them? Or do I secretly love sin and want to enjoy it? Have I trusted Christ and Christ alone for my salvation? Do I enjoy a living relationship with him through his word and through the, and in the spirit? Has there been a change in my life? Do I maintain good works or are my works occasional and weak? Do I seek to grow in the things of the Lord? And can others tell that I have been with Jesus? Do I have a desire to share Christ with others or am I ashamed of him? Do I enjoy fellowshipping with God's people? Is worship a delight for me? And then, am I ready for the Lord's return? Or will I be ashamed when he comes for me? How we answer those questions, and some of us are probably answering some of them, yeah, absolutely. And they're going, you know, not so much. I think that God wants us to be able to answer a lot of those questions positively. Yeah, I believe that. Yeah, I do that. Um, now, remember that to be sure, not every Christian has the same personal experience. And there are degrees of sanctification. But there is a spiritual inventory that we can take to assess how we're doing with our stand before God. And I have to honestly tell you that there are times when my assessment is I am not doing real well. I am falling way short of where I need to be. All right, let's see how we're doing here. Faith without works is faith in name only. How about that? I thought that was an interesting concept. All right, let's see. I'm going, I'm cutting out lots of stuff so we can get going here. You know, Val, I, uh, you, know, you, yeah. you think about that and your, your, where you're at and your faith. And I'll, I'll tell you, the, I'm just reminded on a constant basis how short I fall, uh, especially in the area of patience. I mean, it doesn't take much for me to <laughs> totally, you know, realize that, you know, I don't have any patience. <laughs> yeah. Let me just give you an, a, a, a word of advice. This is a word of wisdom for you. Don't pray for patience. <laughs> You're funny. You get married. And that's interesting coming from a lawyer that you have no patience because uh, <laughs> that profession takes such a long time to get to a beginning and an end. Right. Yeah, I guess so. Perseverance. <laughs> I think what's important daily, it's the hour. daily it's the <laughs> daily walk I don't have patience for. It's you know, I oh. don't have patience for the God's in the future, but it's like when I'm in the moment, there's no patience. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
I, I will avoid road construction because I hate to sit. I get very impatient <laughs> sitting in road construction. Well, that's, uh, that, that's, exactly where, that's exactly where I was going. I was driving back from Traverse City on a Sunday, and uh, we were up there for a softball tournament for my granddaughter, and I, I came back down. Janet, we drove two cars to Traverse City, and, and I'm coming down through those back roads to, you know, to get over to 10. And there's these two lane roads with the passing lanes and, you know, the passing lanes, you know, they're not any good because the cops are sitting there like fish in a barrel and they're <laughs> going over 65. I mean, what's a passing lane? Come on. <laughs> and, you know, I thought I'm going to get, I know I'm going to get nailed if I, if I go over that. And so it was just like, it was a frustrating drive home. Put me on 75. I can set the cruise at 82 and, you know, zip along without a problem, but. I have no patience. 82. I like that. Yeah. Uh, maybe you drive a slower car. <laughs> <laughs> if you can't go fast, don't go fast. Yeah. 82, boy, you just, you know, I just, you just hit the gas and, you know, all of a sudden you're at 90. Exactly. It doesn't, it doesn't take anything in that, that audio just sort of picks up and goes. <laughs> uh, that's why I ride a bicycle. Because <laughs> it doesn't take anything for you to get up and go. Uh yeah, it's not too bad. Although I hit a, a real bad headwind yesterday with that yeah. uh, fun stuff. I was I was standing on my pedals trying to go up a hill, and it was just amazingly funny. I was watching I was watching snails go faster. <laughs> but the tailwind was great. <laughs> well, let's. We have five minutes here. Let's let's try to let me just try to uh, work through a little bit of, of verse twenty four because verse twenty four is a tough one. Um, because it says you you see that a person is justified by what he does and not by faith alone. So that seems to go against scriptures like Ephesians two eight and nine, uh, and taken by itself. This kind of this this declaration, if you will, uh, may seem contrary to what Paul is is saying. Uh, James is indicating that deeds complete faith. That would be verse 22, that uh, they are the outworking of genuine faith. You have two different aspects going here. When Paul is writing, Paul is writing to, in especially in Ephesians and Galatians, he's fighting to do what? To combat legalism. The belief that one may earn saving merit before God because of your good deeds. So he's trying to say, no, 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 you've got it all wrong. No. It, you don't, it's not all about obeying law. So Paul's at reason for writing, and his goal is to teach us that we cannot save ourselves based upon our good deeds, but we save ourselves because of our faith in Christ. And then we go on to do good deeds because that's what verse 10 is of Ephesians 2. But James, on the other hand, is, is combating a different kind of problem. He's combating superficial faith. It, it's the kind of faith that doesn't, it isn't really real. It's just partially real. It's like the, the issue of, we've talked about again, uh, umpteen times you're probably sick of hearing it, the, the, the parable of the sower and the seed. The, the ultimate goal is to bring forth fruit. If you're bringing forth fruit, you're not, you don't have superficial faith. 
if you're not bringing forth fruit of some sort, <clears throat> you're you don't have true dynamic faith is what we're attempting to talk about. So uh, the other thing I want to talk about is in verse six, uh, verse 26, excuse me, as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. I, I want you to understand the, the Greek thought and I want you to understand the, the Hebrew thought because the, James is, again, James is writing from a Hebrew perspective and, and what he's teaching is, is important. In the Greek, uh, there's a division between the body and the spirit. But in the Bible thought, in Bible thought, that's not the way it works. In in Hebrew, the Hebrew concept flesh, um, whether living or dead, um, is still flesh. Uh, there's another word for soul, and the soul is what makes the body live. So the Greeks might say, "I have a soul," but in the strict biblical sense. We're told to say, I am a soul. Notice the difference? I am a soul versus I have a soul. The soul is what makes you alive. So James is really kind of being a good theologian, if you will, because he's arguing that, that a living body is, is like having faith. Is It properly used, it describes a, a trust in God that is by definition marked by the fidelity of your behavior. I like that term, I, I stole it. Yes, I did. A body by itself is nothing. And a soul cannot be a soul apart from the body. You have to have them both together. So the relationship between faith and deeds in the New Testament and the meaning of the term belief slash faith in the New, in the New Testament, both of these things have to do with our understanding uh, and our call for, of Jesus on our lives, both are born out uh, about integrity. Do we have integrity? And how do we go from there? What do we do with that? And how are we doing on time? Okay, so I'm going to have to, there is a very interesting book that if you haven't read, might be interesting to read. It's a, uh, it's a book called by Cornelius Plagentia, Plant. Planting, uh, planting, P-L-A-N-T-I-N-G-A, plant, planting, I guess. And he yeah. quotes a guy by the name of Jack Beatty. And the book is not the way it's supposed to be, a brevity a of sin. It says, even poor use, even poor, ill-educated use, even poor, ill-educated use who live in a social, in a society suffering from racism, must be responsible for their acts. To believe otherwise is to espouse an environmental determinism nearly as offensive to reason and morality as racism itself. Crime, arson, running amok in the streets, having social, have social context, but not social causes. The media blares about the context is an insidious distraction that rests on the presumption that society is responsible for the crimes against it. He says, this is legal and moral nonsense. He says, individuals must be held accountable for their actions. If not, then the grace of God is a sham. Augustine said that evil is, in effect, the absence of good. Systematic evil, a systemic evil, excuse me, may, be, uh, may provide a context in which sin is more likely to thrive, but it does not cause 
the decision of a young man to murder a convenience store clerk. So uh, no one is saying that, that, um, that there isn't a problem with systemic uh, evil, but in and of itself, systemic evil is not the final result. You can't blame it on society. You can blame it on the choices you make. You can say that it might be easier to make choices, but we all know people who grew up in, you know, either uh, middle class, upper middle class, wealthy families and still chose to do evil. It isn't a matter of just because of where you're raised or how you're raised. Sometimes it's a choice you make as an individual. It might be mm -hmm. more likely in one instance than the other. Uh, there's a, a whole host of things. We won't have time to get delve into it either. But um, I would suggest there's a guy, ch check out a guy by the name of John Perkins as well. He's got some very interesting things to say. Um, he was a pastor who um, was nearly beaten to death in, I think it was Louisiana or Mississippi, got out of there as a black man, went to uh, uh, L.A., uh, became a, a follower of Jesus, went back to his home area and has done an incredible work, not only in bringing people to Christ, but in raising the standard of living and, and just dealing with some of the, the issues that are involved in the South. So um, um, very interesting read if you have a chance to, to check out him. His name is John Perkins. All right, that's going to be it for today. I'm going to close this out. We will Hopefully next week we'll t discuss faith and deeds, trying to, to look at the difference between those two, just to wrap this up, this chapter, and then belief and its range of meaning, meaning or faith and its range of meaning. We'll deal with that as well. And hopefully get in, maybe get into uh, chapter three as well. So um, in the meantime, God bless. And we're glad that you had an opportunity to join us. And I'm cutting off the, re the recording.